This is Aspiring Altruists, the show where you'll hear the stories of young professionals in the nonprofit sector working to change the world. We'll dive into their backgrounds, hear about the work they do, and ultimately learn how they got to where they are and how you can do the same. With the nonprofit sector comprising one of the largest U.S. workforces by tackling the world's biggest problems across nine major categories, you may just hear something that could change your life, and through it, the lives of countless others. Today's guest is a guy that I have gotten to know personally through one of my favorite activities, Ultimate Frisbee, Nate Dickstein. Nate is a policy development analyst at the Conference of State Bank Supervisors, an organization that supports state regulators in advancing the system of state financial supervision. He has gone from working as a paralegal to now being in the nonprofit sector early in his career. Nate's going to share with us more about that journey, about how his unique undergrad majors have impacted his early career, provide some solid advice for our fellow young adult audience, and more. So, let's hear from Nate. So, Nate, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the role that you're in in the organization you work for? Yeah, sure thing. So, I am a policy development analyst at an organization called the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. Um, And I guess I'll start with the organization and what we do first, because usually when I say that name, I can kind of already tell I've lost some people. Um, But before I even do, I want to just give a quick disclaimer uh, that you know, anything I say is, you know, my own opinions, not a position of uh, the organization. Um, and nothing I share is confidential supervisory information, just because we work with a lot of that um, information with uh, state and federal regulators. So just wanted to, you know, clarify that. But um, that aside, so the Conference of State Bank Supervisors, or uh, otherwise known as CSBS, that's all generally referred to it. Um We're basically a national professional membership organization whose members uh, that we work for are state bank and financial regulators. Um, And we have members, you know, from every single uh, state across the country and also the territories. Um, And what we do um, or our mission is to strengthen the ability of states to regulate and supervise um, their financial institutions. Um, you know, for the goals of promoting economic growth, consumer protection, um, and foster, you know, innovative, you know, responsive supervision, um, stuff like that. Um, We do that mainly, you know, through a lot of different ways, but um, we either generally work directly with those state uh, regulatory agencies or regulators themselves, um, you know, providing them different kinds of resources, professional development, Uh, training, uh, examiner certifications, stuff like that. So we work directly with them or we uh, represent um, state uh, regulatory agencies and their interests on the federal uh, government level, whether that be through, you know, the handful of federal regulatory agencies, um, Congress or interagency bodies like the FFIEC, FSOC, um, you know, a lot of different um, venues. So we're kind of like a one-stop shop for state uh, federal, or excuse me, state regulatory uh, agencies. So we provide, you know, policy research, federal engagement, and again, like a lot of those resources, like I said, uh, education, professional development, technology products even. So we kind of uh, do it all. Um, As for myself, um, being a policy analyst, I mainly work on the policy research and that federal engagement 
that I was talking about. Um, so I do a lot of research on different kind of um, federal, you know, proposals on um, banking, um, you know, whether those be uh, regulatory uh, rulemakings, uh, legislation through Congress, uh, rule, anything like that. Um, I try to research and understand those rules, um, relay them to state regulators and try to find the interactions, um, overlaps, um, and how they affect um, state um, you know, processes um, and make those uh, processes work as you know, seamless as possible. Yeah, and as, as a policy analyst for an organization like that, you're talking about kind of a, a state financial regulator doing all that kind of financial industry and analyzing those things like it's something that uh, like like you said at the start is possibly something that can go over people's heads in terms of what is that organization what what is this type of role so maybe share a little more here with us what are the parts of the role that you find more interesting as well as the more challenging aspects of what you do sure that's that's a great question so i would say certainly the most interesting part um, for me is the fact that we work with uh, regulators, um, but also interact with, you know, consumers and bankers, not just the regulators from really like every single state and territory across the US. It's kind of a cool experience um, to do that. Um, and also we travel a lot across the US, you know, to every corner, um, whether that's, you know, Louisiana, Montana, Maine, New Mexico, hmm. you know, Iowa, everywhere in between. Um, and it's kind of really, I'm, I've only been, you know, at this organization for about one year, a little under one year, but mm. already it's kind of really changed my perspective on the U.S. and it's like general makeup. Like it is a really pretty diverse place, uh, an expansive place. And, you know, the, the regulators that we work with, the bankers that we interact with, um, the consumers we, we interact with um, and try to work for are like have all from all walks of life from every single little like town tucked into the corner of, you know, some state. Um, they've all were like born there, live there, you know, their whole lives are there. They all have the, you know, weird accents that you might imagine come from that place. Like it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty cool experience in that regard. And then, then the flip side, the more challenging aspects. I would say the more challenging aspects maybe particularly because I'm uh, still a little new in this role is kind of learning for myself, but also educating others about the goings on of this world. Uh, you know, like I just said, you know, how we interact with every single state, and this is everywhere, like, you know, state banking and financial regulation is pretty ubiquitous. And I would also argue pretty important, but the world itself that like we work in is kind of insular, I've noticed. Um, um, I think partially that could be because, you know, uh, this stuff is perceived as dry or confusing mm -hmm. and, you know, perhaps for good reason, um, right. it, it pretty, it really is kind of confusing. Um, and, you know, I, I remember I went to a continuing legal education um, event on like the fundamentals of banking law um, and someone uh, who was giving a presentation, you know, trying to kind of outland out lying the um you know general regulatory landscape was talking about how confusing it was but they said something interesting they provided this quote from one of the past you know comptrollers of the currency of the US where they said 
when talking about the regulatory uh, framework that it's quote, you know, it's the product of historical accident, improvisation and expediency rather than a methodically crafted plan, which I thought was a very interesting quote and gave some context about like why all this stuff is kind of so confusing. So I think it can at times be hard to grasp and even, Mm. you know, right now talking to you, trying to describe, you know, what my organization does in a concise and somewhat hopefully interesting way can can be a challenge. Yeah. And you mentioned there that you have been in your role for a short amount of time. And I know actually in looking at your background that you worked as a paralegal before joining the nonprofit sector. So what is it that led you to make the switch? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a long story, but I'll try to be concise. Um, yeah. So before this role, I was a paralegal also in DC at a a public interest law firm called Cohen, Milstein, Sellers and Toll. And we're doing um, plaintiff side antitrust class action uh, cases. Uh, and I was there for four years. And I'm personally a big fan. I think antitrust uh, law and economics is particularly interesting. Um, and I had a lot of fun at that job. I learned a lot in that job. But ultimately, I think a large reason why I started there was to try to get a good idea of, you know, whether I want to go to law school or not. Um, I think I firmly fall into the camp of, you know, unless you know from, you know, a young age of five years old that you want to be a lawyer, I think it's a good idea to work in the the legal business for a few mm-hmm. years to decide whether you want to take that plunge. Um, and so I did that, ultimately decided that it wasn't for me. And uh, from there, I kind of thought that public policy, uh, working in the public policy world would be, you know, kind of something that would you know, itch the same scratch um, in a sense. And so uh, the current place I'm working now was where I left uh, after being a paralegal. And I think it's been kind of a great uh, first step into the public policy world, precisely because, like I mentioned earlier, we kind of work with all 50 states, you know, so many different regulatory agencies um, and bodies. So you kind of get to touch you know, everything a little bit, which I think has been uh, a really good positive as my first kind of step into the public policy world. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, kind of, kind of good people to hear about that exploration process, which I mean, that's what early careers are in general is just doing that exploring, figuring things out. And, you know, going back to what you were talking about, uh, law school and getting education, getting degrees, all that going back to your undergrad i know that you had kind of a broad undergrad experience in terms of seeing that you majored in behavior economics and game theory as well as psychology and you minored in economics so how has what you studied impacted your career early career here and kind of led to the work that you're doing now if it has yeah it's it's certainly been uh, an interesting journey so far and uh as you mentioned my my undergrad degree was was quite a weird one. I would say a lot of what I learned in undergrad through my majors, you know, admittedly, not a lot of it I use on a real day-to-day basis, but Mm. I do want to highlight the fact that one of the two majors I did, uh, which was the behavioral economics and game theory, was a, like, kind of a create-your-own interdisciplinary major through a program at the school I went to. And it incorporated a lot of different aspects like psychology, economics, business, finance, law, political science, you know, so many different things. And um, I think in academia, um, a lot of those, you know, disciplines, um, I feel like academia makes 
you know, those disciplines kind of feel siloed, but in reality, in my opinion, um, you know, they regularly and constantly overlap and interact in all these weird, you know, interesting ways. And I think recognizing and understanding that is kind of a valuable asset and lets you be, let's say, intellectually nimble is, a, I think, a good way to put it. And so having that interdisciplinary major lets you think in those kind of ways. And as for how it's affected, you know, my professional life so far, I think, as we talked about earlier, made it uh, a lot easier for me to, to pivot uh, professionally um, and not feel pigeon held to, you know, one thing. And I think something that my college advisor, uh, who I deeply admire, gave me some great advice. Uh, she instilled in me the idea that, you know, people in the professional world pivot, I think, far more often than young people are often led to believe. Um, right. I, I really, you know, I, I've now working in the professional world seen that, and I agree that to be the case. And so I, I think um, having that interdisciplinary major has allowed me to kind of be more willing and able to, to pivot. Yeah, pivoting is, I mean, uh, a large part, it's surprising, of of a lot of young people's stories. It's something that isn't, I guess, talked about as much, at least in my experience, in undergrad directly, but it's definitely something that is the norm once you get out into the working world. I mean, it, I my, my story is one of having pivoted from been at the business school at Maryland, having studied supply chain and marketing to working in that and then realizing... I need to be working with something with more mission and that's what led me to the nonprofit sector. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah, pivoting amazing. is normal course of business, I think, and it should be expected. Yeah. Just all that developing, just the underlying message always being one that is a common message, which is uh you don't have to have it all figured out and that your twenties yes. are a lot of exploring. So uh Yes, and people should lean into that. I, I think people get a little afraid of that, you know, and that's fair, but I think uh, leaning in is, is healthy. Yeah, definitely better to find out what it is that you really want to be doing and also knowing that'll be changing, but doing that along the way rather than sticking with something just because it's what you're supposed to do or what you majored in. Yeah, so. at least in my experience, like the the whole process of, you know, figuring things out, like a lot of the pivots and transitions, um, you know, they feel a lot more natural over time. You know, they're, they're yeah. not so like you know, you're jerked in one direction or the other. Um, so, you know, yeah. nothing to be uh, afraid of, I think. Well, if, if people are hearing uh, about the work that you're doing here, your cause or maybe the nonprofit sector, what is it, what is something that you feel the listeners should know either about the cause you're working for or perhaps the nonprofit sector in general from your perspective? That's a great question. I think the one thing people should know, and this you know, I think comes from the idea that um, I think generally people have a fairly skewed perception of banks and banking, where Mm. what I mean by that is when people think of banks, they typically think of, you know, the JP Morgans, the Chase banks, the Bank of America is like the really big, you know, multinational biggest banks in the world. Um, And I think in reality, um, and this is a statistic we actually at CSPS, you know, share a lot, is that 79% of banks, you know, of US banks are state banks, and a lot of those are community banks, and in reality, a lot smaller and operate um, very differently, um, and with kind of different goals than, you know, the typical banks that people might think of. 
And I think, you know, there's kind of a lot more going on behind the scenes, meaning that, you know, state um, and particularly community banks do a lot of the work in the U.S. of, you know, serving their local communities, um, you know, providing, you know, funding and loans to small businesses, you know, people to get their educations, uh, serving their communities in all these different kinds of ways that they, they really have kind of like a more personal relationship with the, the people they work with. Well, beyond uh, just, you know, the work itself and maybe, maybe it can be work, but if there's one thing about either life or work or any other area that you want to share with your fellow young adult audience, what would that one thing be? You know, I mean, I'll definitely harp on the the pivoting, uh, you know, thing we talked mm. about a little earlier, but um, I do have another uh, answer prepared for that, which is um, respect yourself. Um, <laughs> and I know that, you know, can kind of sound vague, so I'll try to be more specific, but um, I, I think I've seen um, through personal interactions and when I hear from a lot of young uh, people, young professionals, they often feel like early on in their career, especially they kind of need to suffer in order to earn their stripes or when even before that, when they're applying to jobs or schools or submitting applications to things and, you know, they they don't get it, they they really take that personally and kind of, you know, blame themselves for a lot. And um, I think respecting yourself kind of means recognizing that you shouldn't be doing that precisely because so much of the things going on behind the scenes are kind of out of your control. Like I've been behind too many, you know, hiring processes and conversations to know that everything that, you know, is being considered um, about whether an applicant gets hired is simply just them. Like so much of it is just these completely unrelated factors, you know, about timing or the direction the organization is going in, um, you know, and so much other stuff. And so I think, you know, the takeaway for, you know, young people should be to kind of recognize that, you know, not the whole world doesn't, you know, fall you know, on your shoulders, not everything that happens is, you know, completely in your control. And that's, you know, the takeaway isn't here, you know, that, you know, hard work isn't paid off or that you can't control anything. It's just that you shouldn't expect to control everything and, you know, and just don't take it too personally. Um, And I think there's, there's a big kind of self-respect aspect tied into that. Yeah. It's amazing how much of work life as well as life in general is actually outside of our controls as much as we're we're taught to try and control and try and prepare and all those things. There's like you said, only, only so much. And you have to remember that there are always other people involved. And so they're trying to do their thing, have their own objectives, have their own, whatever things that they're trying to accomplish and you're trying to do yours. And so that just leads to a lot of messiness as you get beyond the, the walls of school and out into the real world and start figuring out that things are often more complicated and, uh, beyond our control than we might uh, have grown up believing. So. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the people who are happy are the people who I uh, like clearly using this phrase, leaning into that as opposed to kind of fighting it or being afraid of it. Right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, thanks for sharing your story here. That's just about what we have for you today. But how can our listeners connect with you if they'd like to learn more about what you shared here? Um, yeah, I'm, you know, available uh, via my work email, which is N, as in Nathaniel, my first name, Dickstein, D-I-C-K, 
S-T-E-I-N at csbs.org. Uh, feel free to email me over there, or you can just find me on LinkedIn through my full name, which is Nathaniel Dickstein. Um, should be easy to find, and I'm happy to respond, you know, either way. Well, thanks for sharing that. And as always, I will link to both your email as well as your LinkedIn profile down in the show notes so people can reach out. And as always, anybody reaching out, make sure you share where you're connecting with our, our guests from so they have some context and tell them that you heard about them here. So, uh, they, they, know, uh, they know what's going on. But uh, yeah, again, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today and for sharing your story. Sure. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you learned something new about the work happening in the nonprofit sector and were inspired to get involved. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening from. If you want to learn more about today's guest, how you can contact them and explore the organization they work for, check out the show notes. That'll do it for this episode. Come back next time to hear from yet another aspiring altruist.